Welcome, fellow lighting nerds and friends, to another episode of The Light Files, the lighting industry's podcast. My name is Lisa Bartlett. Thank you for joining me yet again this week. I uh, always appreciate you and appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast every week and to give me your feedback. I even uh, have recently found out people listen to the podcast that I didn't even expect would listen um, be, because I just thought, who who would want to, why would you want to listen to me ramble for 20 minutes? Um, but every time I find out about a listener, it really makes me uh, so, so appreciative that y'all do take the time and you do listen. I appreciate those of you that support the podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash lightfiles. Could always use more support there. I would love to be able to do more interviews. There are some challenges with that as they have to all be done remotely and sound quality and internet connection can be a real big hiccup. I know the sound quality of this podcast isn't always 100% perfect, but um, I try to keep it at least on the better end of the spectrum. Um, and I really just don't want to put out an inferior product. (laughs) So that's why you haven't had interviews yet because it's going to take a whole other level. And I was hoping to get enough Patreon supporters for it, but that hasn't happened yet. Hint, hint. That can be your Christmas gift to me. Patreon.com slash light files, $5 a month. You'll make my day and will help uh, evolve this podcast into 2000. 22, my goodness, 2022. Um, this is episode 42 of the light files. I did skip one week, but, uh, when I was on vacation, but that means, uh, we're just 10 episodes away from a whole year of light files podcasts, um, which is pretty amazing. And I just got a notification, uh, that this, uh, the podcast has been downloaded 3,500 times, Um, that also blows my mind. And again, I appreciate every single one of those downloads and listeners. If you can support the podcast, I would love it. I would really love to evolve this into a, uh, a fancier thing, (laughs) but I need your help to do that. So until then you'll just have to listen to me. And occasionally my husband, I've been trying to get him to come back on the show because he just uh, quite literally this week, officially fully retired. And I have some questions for him that I think you guys would be interested in. But, um, you know, he tells me he doesn't want to give y'all too much of him um, or you'll get tired of him. (laughs) So we'll see, but hopefully I'll get him back on soon. I'll, I'll twist his arm one way or another. So I did want to remind you guys of a few things at uh, up up top, um, Dallas market, believe it or not, is let's see, by the time y'all listen to this, Dallas market will be three weeks and uh, three weeks and two days away. Yes, I said that right. I, I am doing the math. Um, market is just about three weeks away. So those of you that are Lighting Showroom Association members, I want to remind you that we are doing an event on Friday, January 7th at 8 a.m. It's hosted by and will be at Hubbard and Forge. They're providing a breakfast for us. Um, All LSA members, regardless of member type, are invited. I'll be doing a little presentation. Um, 
I got to get working on that. <laughs> um, and we'll be doing some networking and talking. That is the Lighting Showroom Association's only official gathering at January Lightovation. It's going to be the first time back for so many of us that we didn't want to do too much because I know there's going to be so many events and parties and plus it's January buying. So it's always very hectic and busy. I did go ahead and make the decision to go ahead and get signed up for the January, um, for the winter market in Las Vegas. So I'm also going to go to Las Vegas at the end of January. I just, uh, our showroom in particular has a tremendous sales associate and also has just been doing so much better with expanded product categories outside of lighting. Um, now we're not venturing too far out. We're still home accents, home decor, home accessories. Um, but it, it is a growing category for us. I will say the margins aren't particularly better than lighting. So if you're looking for like a margin enhancer, I'm not saying that this is it, but it is increasing our overall ticket, you know, value the, the, I know I'm saying that wrong, but our, our, our total ticket price is increasing by having these add-on goods. So, um, so I'm going to try to go to Las Vegas and maybe, maybe high point, but I'm definitely going to Las Vegas and, um, see if we can keep expanding that channel of our business. Um, lighting is always lighting and fans and, you know, electrical is always going to be our primary core business. But if we can get more walk-in traffic for that kind of home goods, home decor part of the business, I think that only, uh, boosts our entire brand. Um, also in my market area, one of the few remaining independent furniture and home decor retailers, um, that was located in downtown Savannah, they just closed. Um, they're moving to an online only strategy, but they have closed their brick and mortar showroom. Um, I'm sure a little bit that has to do with their location. They were in downtown Savannah rent. And even if they own the building, it's not cheap down there. Um, so I'm sure there's a bunch of other factors that go into play there, but it is just yet another opening for my business to really kind of expand on this category. I will say from our shoppers who come in, there really is sort of a niche, a need for unique home decor and home goods that you don't find at home goods or target or big box stores. Um, now I'm not saying they need to be out of left field, but just product that's different than what you see in your typical big box store. We're getting a lot of great feedback on that. Some products I brought in are kind of like different versions of a big box store item. And those aren't doing so well. Um, but other items like we brought in, um, it's actually a local person that makes these tea towels with watercolors on them that are, you know, specific to our corner of the world. And they have like the city name and everything on them. Um, the, if some of those have just completely sold out already. Um, and we only have had them for less than a month. So that's a really, really been a really great product for us. So I'm looking to kind of add on to those kinds of things when I go shopping in January. So I'm really excited for that. 
And I'm really excited to see everyone back in Dallas um, for Lightovation. So again, if you're a Lighting Showroom Association member, make sure you're coming to that breakfast Friday, January 7th at 8 a.m. at Hubbard and Forge. So I wanted to spend the rest of the uh, podcast this week talking about something that's a critical part of the LSA's agenda in 2022. Um, I've talked about it a few times already. Um, I think in my talking about this before, the whole reason that I'm even sitting behind this microphone recording this podcast right now is because of restocking fees. This has just gotten to be such a critical component in our industry and uh, can sometimes be a make or break with uh, lighting showrooms and the successful long-term viability of our business. So I remember several years ago, everyone was saying, and probably still says, uh, lighting showrooms, if you're not online, if you're not selling online, you're going to get left behind. Well, it turns out with online sales, there is a much higher risk of returns than you have when a customer has come into the showroom, worked with a lighting consultant, seen the finishes, seen the sizes. We talked about their space. When you have to remove that, that advice portion and you're just straight up selling, your uh, proportion of returns on those sales is just going to be higher. And sometimes with our online sales, they do, uh, you know, do a chat with a salesperson or email back and forth. And so sometimes we do get a little input, but not always. Um, a lot of sales that we get are really just um, somebody was shopping our website, whether they wanted to shop local or they just happened upon us. Um, however it comes to be, um, we sell online. And again, if they haven't had the whole experience buying experience that you would get in the showroom returns are much more likely. So restock fees are just a killer. And I understand that there's a lot of work that goes in with what we sell when it's being returned to manufacturers. I know I've said that before. So I'm going to kind of continue the rest of this conversation speaking very showroom centric uh, and I just want to acknowledge at the top here that I am not saying all this with a lack of understanding about the work on the manufacturer side, but I also think everyone needs to really hear the issue from the showroom side. Okay. So I have a particularly large showroom. Um, it, it, it's not the hugest, but it's not the smallest, but, um, I have, have the capability of displaying a lot of product from many manufacturers. And I also have a very nice sized warehouse that allows me to store a lot of product too, um, whether it's backups for display or sold goods that we're holding and palletizing for customers. So those are all good things. That said, even with my very large showroom and warehouse, the total building is 18,000 square feet for the showroom and warehouse combined. Even with all that space, I couldn't even begin to display everything available in our industry, in every finish from all the manufacturers. It just isn't possible. You would need a building as big as the Dallas Market Center to do that. And none of us have that kind of space. <laughs> so it's just not going to happen. So to some degree, 
there's a little bit of risk involved here, right? I'm going to pick what I think is best for display. I'm going to pick what I know sells in my territory. I'm going to pick sizes and styles that I think work, but I'm not going to be able to have everything. It's a fact of life, not going to be able to have it all. We do our best with finished samples, uh, to whatever we can do, but perhaps the finished samples that I have are two years old. And since then, the manufacturer has changed factories that they're making this product in. And the finish is slightly different now than it was, rendering that finished sample that I sold the product off of useless or semi-useless. And so then the product arrives and it just isn't right for the customer. Um, they don't hang it. Nothing's installed. Wires aren't cut. Nothing. No chain cut. Everything's still in its plastic bags, uh, but the customer opened the top, saw the fixture. No, this won't work. They bring it back to us. I totally understand and think returns of this nature are something as a retail business I should absolutely allow and accept. And I believe I should be able to allow and accept those returns without penalty. I don't think there should be a fee placed on the customer for a change of heart return done within 60 days of purchase and brand new in the box, everything in original packaging. That should just be a no brainer. I should not have to have this return policy like I have on my website that is a little cumbersome to read. It should be very straightforward. If it's been installed or it's longer than 60 days, these are the rules. Uh, if it hasn't, come on, bring it back. I just really want it to be that easy for our customers because what this creates is an environment that is not friendly for customers. And like it or not, the Amazon return policies uh, has gotten everyone <laughs> uh, more comfortable than they should with free shipping and with easy returns. And everyone listening to this podcast understands that Amazon has a whole system of warehouses and distribution. Now they've got Amazon, they've got what, Prime Jets uh, to fly product across the ocean. They have all sorts of logistical capabilities that none of the rest of us have. And uh, I wish that could be better understood by the public at large, but it's not, not generally. So I think restock fees should absolutely be eliminated in cases like the one I just described that makes sense, not installed, brand new in the box within 60 days. And of course, uh, on things like this, I assume I'm going to just make an assumption that I was a smart buyer for my store and this product for the customer came to me free freight. It went on my weekly free freight order. I didn't have to pay one penny of freight to get that product to me. I think uh, that the return should be allowed through whatever regular process. And I, of course, think the freight to, to ship that item back should be on me. And I would be okay with a system of, yep, we're going to issue you these RGAs um, and you ship those to us once a month, Lisa. I want to get returns from your business once a month on, you can ship them to me whatever day, the 15th of the month, send them all at once 
And in the meantime, you know, we'll keep, you know, processing RGA paperwork, but I only want to get that shipment once a month so that my warehouse isn't getting product trickling in little by little. Let's aggregate it and make it simpler for us. And maybe that's your terms for everyone. And you all just know when you're going to be receiving in your warehouse between the 20th and 25th of every month, the 15th is everyone's return shipping day. You're going to get a bunch of returns. And then you have the next three weeks to get all that sorted through before the next batch of returns comes. Fine. However, you want to conceptualize this to make it work best for everyone. And I actually expect that um, these kind of return terms would primarily apply to manufacturers that do a good bit of business with. But honestly, I think they should apply for everyone that I shop with if these stricter terms of brand new in the box, 60 days, all packaging there. And that burden of that making sure all that is there is on me as the showroom. And if I say that's all there and I ship it back and it's not, absolutely a restocking fee or penalty fee, something should apply to me because I misrepresented the product when I requested the turn re return. And let's say maybe you do a three strike and you're out rule or something like, hey, we, you know, we've accepted these, but a uh, product isn't coming back to us in the condition you claim it's in. So now these other terms apply or you have to have this penalty every time or whatever it's going to be uh, to make sure that everyone is, you know, dotting their I's and crossing their T's and getting this back to you properly. I definitely think it is an understandable thing for customers that, you know, freight on returns isn't included. So if I have an online sale and I drop ship a product to them, they want to return it. I say, sure, no problem. I'll send you a shipping label and I'll issue you a credit, you know, less the cost of the freight or something. That's a totally understandable situation in the world that we live in. When it's the, what I just said, plus another 20%, 15%, 25% in restocking fees, money you just don't get back because you shopped with me, uh, that's not as tenable. And I do get that this is a standard practice in the home furnishings industry uh, in, in a lot of different places. But I say lighting industry, let's step up and let's lead this change. Nobody wants abuse. Uh, nobody wants a policy that just runs rampant because there aren't enough rules and restrictions. I'm not advocating for that. I am advocating for it to be a better partnership all around. I'm going to invest as a showroom in your goods and services as a manufacturer. I'm going to support your product. I'm going to put it on display. I'm going to stock it in my warehouse. And there are many things I want back from that. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> there are many things I want back from that, but <laughs> one of the most important for all showrooms is this restocking fee. I think some other things, co-op dollars, advertising dollars could be eliminated, um, or reduced or changed or something. Um, but it doesn't, the restocking fee makes a bigger difference to me day in and day out than some co-op money or spiff money does by far, by far. 
makes much more difference to my showroom and our successful operations. And also ease of selling. I want it to be easy for me to talk to a customer and sell to them instead of, you know, okay, uh, what's your return policy? Well, it's a little complicated. No, no, no. It just, it, the lights go off. The customers lose interest. They don't want to hear it. It doesn't engage them. It doesn't make them feel warm and fuzzy about buying from me. And I get really frustrated with that. And, you know, some of us uh, showrooms have taken the tact of, okay, we're just going to go ahead and pretend like there's no restocking fees just to have a better business practice. But um, I don't know that that's the best way to go either. Um, We've gotten rid of it, but at at what cost? We're really just hurting ourselves with that. Um, we're ta- agreeing to take on the, you know, the penalty without getting support from the people that we're buying from. And I really, really hate that because it is such a great partnership. And I worry sometimes actually one of the biggest things I worry about for our industry isn't so much an issue like a restocking fee, which is very important, but I worry about these things that erode our partnerships between manufacturers and showrooms that make it almost all too easy for us to branch off and for showrooms to buy direct from factories in China or for manufacturers to sell direct to consumer. There, we don't collaborate the way we should and we don't support one another the way we should. And what it's leading to is a real splintering. Because I tell you what, I get a lot of emails from the factories I know there's some hiccups. I know there's roadblocks. I know they're selling. I know things aren't going to be quite as easy as they make it seem. But I tell you, some of those emails are real enticing. And I don't want to do it. I want to buy from my manufacturers. I want to buy from the people that support brick and mortar lighting showrooms, that show at Lightovation, that show... Um, their support for my business, quite honestly, those are the people I want to partner with, but we really have to be rethinking and taking some quick action on these partnerships to reinforce the partnership and to reinforce our commitment to one another as supplier and distributor, because all I see us doing all over the place is just diluting that partnership. And I don't think that benefits our entire industry. I think it has the exact opposite effect. I think it is hurting our industry. So I'm running a little long on this one, but I get a little impassioned about this topic. Um, I just think that restock fees is just like a little example of a broader issue that if, man, if we could just step up and solve it, things would go so much better all around for manufacturers and distributors alike. And I think we would see a resurgence and re-strengthening of the independent lighting showroom as a distribution channel. And I think once we saw that, suddenly selling direct to consumer or direct to trade isn't going to be quite as appealing as it was before. And I think that is the whole mission. All right, y'all, I've rambled on long enough. I hope you're having a great day and a great week, and I will talk to you next time.